We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest Joe Maycar. How are we doing, guys? Doing well. We have a guy who has my favorite first name in the world on the podcast. No, not Nick. Us? It's Joe. It's Joe. Just yeah, it's Joe. <laughs> well. You know what, Jack? I was going to say something nice, like happy birthday <laughs> to you, but okay. You know, our boy Jack just turned 30, so shout out to him. You know, show him some love. But as always, you know, if you want to find the Brooklyn Buzz, you can catch us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com and Blue Wire Pods. But guys, we are talking about the draft, which is quickly approaching, 12 days away. And the Nets obviously have the 19th pick and the 55th pick. Now, do you guys think the Nets are going to look to keep these picks or make a move on draft night? Well, I wouldn't be surprised either way, but I really expect them to trade the pick, especially with, yes, there's financial implications, but we know, obviously, with Joe Sy, money is no issue. He's one of the richest owners in sports, but I still expect Joe them. Thing. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <you know. laughs> but I definitely expect them to trade the pick, but I wouldn't be surprised if they keep it. If they trade it, um, look, in the past, they've had a history of trading back and trying to acquire, like, early second-round picks, as we saw with Claxton, and this is really beneficial because... I heard a lot of like draft pundits this year saying, you know, the player you take at 20 and the player you take at 40 is not a huge gap this year. Mm. So if that's really how the Nets organization decides to look at it, they might say, okay, like we're just really looking for a plug and play shooter who we can get early in the second round. Uh, Why don't we trade back a little, acquire either some future draft capital 
or another veteran to our team and try to pick in the early 30s. So I'd expect them to trade back or trade into a future draft. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm probably with Joe on that. All the pick gets used in some sort of acquisition to get a ready-made player, a veteran player into the system. Now, you know, Joe and I have done a little bit of studying. You know, Joe, a lot more so. He's got some great articles on otgbasketball.com diving into the different divisions. But listening to different podcasts about who is going to be around that sort of mid late sort of first round range, which is where the Nets are projected to be with 19. Even if they do move back, I can't see them moving back you know, to more than like a 30. They'd still want something around that range. We know Sean Marks does his work, you know, really well in the 20s. He loves the 20s. You know, we got Jared Allen, uh, Karis LeVert, and obviously Nicholas Claxton at the start of the second round. So, you know, he can find gems in the rough. And if there's any sort of draft, it seems to find those gems in the rough, it seems to be that this year's draft class is probably the year for that. You know, Joe's probably got some names that he likes, but, you know, guys that I've liked, I put a little bit of video out on Josh Green, uh, an Aussie boy um, who shoots the three ball well enough. You know, his mechanics aren't amazing, but I think that'll improve under the tutelage of the Brooklyn Nets and their coaching staff. He's an awesome defender. Maybe for me, you know, just listening to just the guys who are around from, you know, 19 to, to 30 or so, seems to me that he would be probably the best defender that the Nets could get in that range. He's quick and good in the open court. He's a good cutter, good athlete. Just uh, his handle isn't amazing, but that's something that I don't think he's going to need to necessarily yeah. have, you know, when you are playing as a role player. I think he's a plug-and-play guy that would benefit the team if we, the Nets were to sort of pick. And, you know, it's always nice to sort of talk about the young guys and the prospects because, you know, it's future sort of stuff. Um, but honestly, you know, and I think we'll get to the Garrett Temple stuff a little bit later. There are s significant concerns con with the luxury tax. Yes, Joe Sy is willing to pay. He's done that with the assistant coaches. But with the news around Garrett Temple that we'll get to later in the pod, I'm less sort of confident on it 100%. Now, obviously, a guy as a late first rounder is only a couple of million dollars compared to Garrett Temple's $5 million, which then gets multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, depending on how far the Nets are into the tax. But yeah, a guy, Josh Green, he's become one of my favorites. I do like Sadiq Bay, Desmond Bain. I don't think those guys will be uh, available. I think their stock is rising. Uh, Patrick Williams, I think, would be an awesome fit. Another sort of, probably, he might be maybe the best wing in the class. So again, those sort of guys are rising in the ranks uh, from what I've read and heard and listened to on podcasts. But a guy, Josh Green, to me, he seems to be going down a little bit. And maybe it's because of the international thing. No one likes us Aussies. You know, the, the, you know our pandemic is starting to get a little bit less and everyone's sort of jealous of us. It's turning into summer down here. But Josh Green's doing his work. You know, he's putting in the work. He's, he just looks great to me. And um, I would love to have another guy uh, with the letter J in his name that I could stand for in this Brooklyn Nets team. And it just ha happens to work out that it's another guy from the Southern Hemisphere and from, you know, just a couple of hours above me in Sydney. Well, it looks like he has a fan club already, Jack. So, but just talking about what you guys mentioned, and Joe, you mentioned this, you know, trading out of the first round into the second round. What that does too is there's a cap hold on first round picks. There's no cap hold on second round picks. Gives you a little bit more flexibility. And then you also can look at it from the perspective of, are the Nets even going to have a roster spot for this player? Like, you know what I mean? A championship contention. Jack brought up Garrett Temple. And that's where you look at it. It's like, all right, does it really make sense to give this guy a roster spot or would it make more sense that we could get a 2021, 2022 draft pick and maybe that could be used in a future trade if they can't make a deal on draft night? It's going to be interesting because given how everything, everything's supposed to happen so fast, I'll be intrigued to see what type of trades we see draft night. So, but uh, Joe, any prospects you like if the Nets were to stay at 19? So if they stay at 19, I've heard a couple names linked to them and there seems to be one common theme between all of these players. 
they're at very minimum an average shooter, if not a great shooter. Mm. So it ranges. Um, as you said, Jack, Josh Green, stock went down a little because, you know, a little bit of shooting inconsistency. I wouldn't say he's a bad shooter by any means, but it's been up and down for him. It's been a little inconsistent. But that being said, he's still a very talented player, plays the defensive side of the ball. I like Josh Green there. Sadiq Bey, we've heard that name linked, but it looks like his stock is leaning towards late lottery at the moment. But if he's there at 19, in my opinion, that's you need to take advantage of that if you're Sean Marks. Um, Tyrell Terry, a guy not many people are talking about, but this kid has range for days, this unlimited range. And all you got to keep in mind is if I'm the Nets, I'm looking to get another shooter in that lineup after I possibly re-sign Joe Harris. Like, Think of all the good looks these shooters are going to get playing off of two of the best offensive players in the league. It would If I'm a rookie and I'm looking, oh, I'm probably going to get drafted later in the first round, I genuinely, I want to play for the Nets, play in New York, play alongside two stars, play for a team that's ready to contend. It almost seems like a perfect situation. Yeah, and I mean, you'll have an opportunity to get in the rotation most likely too because moving forward, the Nets won't have cap space. It's going to be harder to get free agents. So there's an opportunity here for you. Jack, any sleepers that you like in terms of maybe like the second round or guys that maybe you would just like, hey, this guy caught my on Marks, grabbed him late. Maybe he could be on the G League team or even could be like a Euro stash. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd probably be more focusing on the, the sort of 19 first round mm -hmm. sort of range, Nick. But a, a guy that seems to be coming up quite consistently and, and was reported by, uh, is it Mark Berman? Is that his name? Um, yes. The, the dude yeah. for the New York Post. Now, I don't trust him in regards to Nets news because he has put a lot of Nets slander but he yep. is also an accredited writer for the New York uh, sports media so you take for what it's worth but RJ Hampton and again another guy probably who I would have a little bit more intimate knowledge about because he did like uh, LaMelo Ball play down here in the National Basketball League the Australian version of the NBA uh, if you will wasn't great uh, I, I think for, for me he has so many tools and he is maybe one of the best athletes in the class. Just looking at him, the dude can like just dunk off. Like he is just an uh, incredible athlete, but like Joe sort of said, you know, the sort of potential, do the Nets need sort of these sort of potential guys? I think we need a ready-made sort of yeah. you know, guys like Tyrese Halliburton and, and, and those would be like perfect plug-and-play guys. You know, we spoke about probably in the free agency series uh, on OTT Basketball's YouTube about the free, uh, free, free agent class that how can you plug-and-play and impact a winning organization? The same has to be said and the same priority has to be for Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets because right now there is a nucleus there that it's just like these guys just need a couple little things here and there, a little bit of defense, a little bit more shooting like Joe was sort of saying. Uh, I just think that if you look at those sort of skills, you know, you're not supposed to draft the fit, but if you are a winning team already, you don't need any extra talent. You don't need a prospect. You don't need a guy who's going to be good in a couple of years' time. You don't need a Cole Anthony. You need someone who's good right now and has the skills to impact winning. And I think, guys, RJ Hampton, to me, doesn't really do that a lot. I, I, in three years' time, RJ Hampton could be maybe the best, maybe hot take here, might be one of the better players in this class. I think he was, you know, before the season, and Joe could maybe provide a, a bit more clarity on this. He was one of the top prospects, a top 10, if not top 5 prospect. And then his, his play in the National Basketball League wasn't amazing. Going up against a sort of like... I know uh, Bill Simmons gives uh, the National Basketball League not a heap of credit, but it's really physical. And if you watch uh, the Boomers play basketball and, and you see the way that uh, Australians in general play basketball, Della Vidova, Paddy Mills, Ben Simmons, all these guys have a physicality to them, Aaron Baines. And it didn't bode so well for a guy who is a kid. 
and he's going yeah. up against men. And Lamelo Ball obviously has transcendent talent, and he was able to you know impact. But even him, I don't think had the he wasn't the best player in the NBL by any stretch of the imagination. So um, despite the fact it's not an amazing league, it's not the NBA by any stretch. I think it's one of the better leagues in the world. And RJ Hampton was found out a little bit, but it wouldn't surprise me. And I think that. I'm not going to be like, oh man, why is Sean Marks drafting RJ Hampton over Josh Green or Tyrell Terry or these guys? At the end of the day, I trust his decision making because if we look at the history, he makes the right decisions more than most of the time, you know, especially when it comes to the draft. You know, I think that you know, when it comes to free agency, we can have a, a few gripes when it comes to Sean Marks' history there. But you know, I think Janan Musa is probably the only blip on his radar. Yeah. Because yeah, Rodion's yeah. was a good pick. I mean, given just how he handled the next year of his career, that's kind of a little bit more on Rodion's and the Nets. And, I mean, there's probably – I'm not a Musa guy, but there probably is a slight bit of hope maybe in the future he could turn into some type of rotational piece. And like you said, Jack, Sean Marks could also look at it like, hey, if I draft a rookie here, this rookie's not going to play. Maybe we, we're not even looking to give him minutes. So maybe we could draft one of the developmental guys. So I, I wouldn't close that door either. Or it could sure. just be in a situation where it's just like, all right, nobody at 19 is helping us. We'll trade this out for a 22 or a 23 pick because we could trade that, you know, maybe that we trade at the deadline, trade it later in the offseason. Just keep that flexibility open. Any other thoughts, guys, on the draft? I was going to ask you, Joe, what are your thoughts on RJ Hampton? RJ Hampton, I see flashes of brilliance, but then I also see why people are concerned a little. And I watched a little bit of game film on him. And I watched that, like, open gym workout, which, as we know, should be taken with a grain of salt because Melo looks like prime Jordan in those gyms. <laughs> but I started watching film on him, and I do see one similarity. I see a lot of flashes of Dante Exum, and I see the similarities in, like, body structure, how they get to the rim, even, like, the jump shot form. But I also see him potentially, his ceiling, being like a Zach Levine. And if he ever does blossom into that, he's definitely worth taking in the middle of the first round. But it's, of course... It depends on what system he's in. And as you said, um, I can confirm he was projected to be a top 10, if not top five pick before the season started. But everyone expected him, hey, he's going to go to a big name college. We're going to get to watch him. And of course, we were all wrong. He goes overseas. We have the pandemic. College basketball gets halted. So his stock definitely did take a hit. But if I'm a team in the late lottery, if I'm a team in the late teens, I'm definitely considering uh, taking RJ Hampton with that pick. It's a name that's had a lot of hype because that not even being like a draft guy, I've heard his name before and there's always been some like, hey, you know, maybe this guy could kind of pop off and have that superstar potential because some of that athleticism and body type you guys are talking about. So, but uh, you guys ready to move on to the draft because we got some spicy rumors this week. I want to just get th yeah. three thing, three guys from Joe. Uh, you've mentioned Tyrell Terry. Three guys that you think, if the Nets do use that 19 pick, and 55 is just a crapshoot. You know, none of us, other than maybe like Dalton Penson, uh, have that sort of in-depth knowledge about those second rounders. But three guys that you would want uh, Sean Marks to draft for the 2020 draft on November 18. Hmm. So off the top of my head. Tyrell Terry, yes. Desmond Bain, I've heard his name linked a lot. And yeah. I'm hearing he's one of the best shooters in the draft. And I was doing a little bit of research on him today. He actually shoots like, what was it, 43% from deep. And <laughs> I know, right? Joe Harris, uh, Joe Harris vibes right there. Yeah. But anyway, and he's also a four-year player, which you got to keep in mind. On a team that's ready to compete now, do you want the guy who's 22? Or do you want the kid who's 18, 19, who's still going to take time to grow into his body, who's still going to take time to learn uh, what a professional system looks like. And in my opinion, I feel like Marks, although we never know what he's capable of, I feel like he'll go for the player that's a little more ready now. And in my case, I see that as Bane. 
And the third prospect, I don't think he'll be available by then. But if he is, I'll go with Sadiq Bay. What okay. what is it about what is it about Sadiq Bay? I know probably one of Nets Twitter's favorite into Nets yeah. draft Twitter. That there's another faction of Nets Twitter that if you're not on it, get around it. Joe's the one of the kings of it. What is it about Sadiq Bay that makes everyone fall in love with him? I think it's just his consistency, his motor. He knows his role and he knows how to play it well. He knows how to play both sides of the ball. He kind of He's not a forward, so say, but he kind of reminds me of Robert Covington in a way, like in the sense that, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try to do more than that. And I'm going to come in here. I don't have to touch the ball 30 times a game to be effective. Um, I could get like three touches a game or I could get 20 touches and I'll find a way to have a winning impact on that game. And as I said, if you're a title contender, I just feel like that's important. And this year, more than ever, I know we're all like examining the draft, but keep in mind, this is the first year where the Nets have Kyrie and Durant on the roster where they're heading into the draft. Last year, the draft needs were completely different. Um, this team was led by D'Angelo Russell and LeVert, and we thought, okay, just shoot for the stars and try to get a home run of a pick. This year, you're better off taking a safe bet, a guy who could come in and contribute immediately. And I kind of compare it to Landry Shamit, right? Landry Shamit is not a huge, huge like difference maker, but he's a guy who comes in, you know what I mean? He hits threes, he plays a timely defense, and... He's just a guy who makes a difference for a contender. He instantly had an impact in the NBA. Like, exactly. Since he was drafted. That's what Mark should try to acquire with that 19th pick. Yeah, 100%. Because, you know, it could be that guy. And like we said, there's a, a lot of different scenarios out there. And you know Sean Marks is going to kind of just adapt to whatever, you know, is available to him and try to do the best for the Nets. But uh, anything else, Jack, you want to throw out the draft? Yeah, um, I, 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 those are probably three names. And, you know, I'm adding my guy Josh Green into there as well. That. The consensus being from the smart people that spit, that know about the draft and know about the Brooklyn Nets, shooting defense. You know whether you know, Robert Covington is obviously a guy linked to the Brooklyn Nets uh, in in trades. I think maybe we've linked him to the Brooklyn Nets. Maybe that's why. <laughs> um, but in saying that, if you're getting a bargain basement version of it with a with a Sadiq Bay, if he's available, why not? You know, if it means using the draft as a means to improve your team because you can't get them in trade, you can't get them in free agency. Then Sean Marks knows. You know, we've heard plan A, B, C, and D from Kenny Atkinson before. I'm sure Sean Marks has plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and G for the rest of the alphabet for the draft and for this offseason. It's probably more important than the, you know, the clean sweep that we got last year. Yeah, definitely. You want to add the final touches to this roster. And talking about that, Jack, we got some news about Drew Holiday. What did we find out this week? Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility of your hiring. You only pay for what you need and can pause your account at any time. And there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you with the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th.
The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win the season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today, take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. Oh, man, there is plenty to respond to. Even though it was basically just the same news, but reported by a more accredited person, Sean Rania, it seems to, and the wording was a little bit different. It's like aggressively shopping Drew Holiday rather than sort of just being like, oh, yeah, Drew Holiday's like kind of available. And to me, that's probably the big thing. It's like, so now, who is this coming from? Is it coming from David Griffin? Is it coming from Drew Holiday himself? Well, we had a tweet from Ol Cassell who uh, had David Griffin actually responding to the rumors, to the speculation. And he said this, Drew and Lauren, being his wife, are special people and they've been special parts of this team and they've been a special part of the community. So when you read something like that, you think something must have happened. As though it was newsworthy that we were listening to trade discussions around a player. That's our job. We've done that since I've got here. We've had similar conversations at last year's trade deadline. Nobody's actively attempting to do anything different than we were before. We're trying to build a team that can be highly competitive today and build towards a sustainable future. If that means that Drew is a part of that, that's special for us because he loves being with us and we love the way he plays. If the best way to to build towards that future and the best way to put him in the best position to succeed for him to be traded, then that's what's going to end up happening. But those things come up about because you're trying to build that sustainable future and Drew's trying to put himself in the best position to win. We're grateful he's done that with us and we see no reason to believe that's not going to continue. So he's basically saying whatever he's trying to accommodate both what Drew's wants and needs and the Pelicans wants and needs but in it, to actually hear it come from the horse's mouth and David Griffin, you know, he doesn't just put things out there for the sake of putting things out there. He's a really smart guy. Joe, when you hear that from David Griffin himself, and we'll get to some packages and teams that are interested and how that compares with the Brooklyn Nets, when you hear those comments from David Griffin, how does that make you feel, I guess, as a Nets fan and the chances of Drew Holiday being a future Brooklyn Net? In terms of him being a Net, I'll get to that in a minute. But in terms of his availability, I think that basically confirms that what we've pretty much all known that Drew Holiday has been on the trade block. And if I'm David Griffin, I I think he really handled that great because you're not necessarily saying, okay, we're definitely going to trade him because that just causes tension. And like the whole AD situation turned out, like we know how that went poorly, but he's saying, okay, if he's meant for our future, he'll be here. If not, like he's quietly saying, we've been listening to offers and let's be honest, Drew Holiday's trade value right now, is probably higher than it's been in years. And I don't know if it's just because his name's been tossed around in rumors recently, but he's he is the guy. He is the perfect example of a guy who fits a championship contender, whether it's the Nets, the Bucks, uh, any other team. He doesn't necessarily need all of the touches so he could play off of Kyrie and Durant if he were to come here. And he's a guy who they'd look to to lock down the opposing team's best player. And if I'm the Nets right now, I truthfully don't have any issue with the offense let's be honest between Durant between Kyrie Dinwiddie LeBert that's probably um, not doing the math but that's probably about 90 points right there per game if everyone's averaging what they typically average so how are you going to lock down on the other end especially we have Mike D'Antoni now we know of his offensive capabilities we know how much of an offensive genius he is but who is that guy that's going to step up on the defensive end and say look 
I'm going to lead the pack. Is it Jared Allen? Is it, we haven't seen it much, but is it DeAndre Jordan? Is it like, I like David Nawaba last year. Let me tell you why. Because he was that guy who just set the tone on defense. He was the guy who was diving for loose balls, who was hustling, who was getting in the grill of the opposing team's best player. And Drew Holiday can easily be that. Yeah. And I think just for me, hearing it from David Griffin, Jack, you said it, you know, David Griffin's a guy that knows exactly what he's saying. Like his tune is completely different from last offseason when he was hyping up Drew Holiday, saying this guy's going to be an MVP candidate for us. You know, he's our best player. We want to keep him around for these young guys. Now he's saying like, hey, you know, the offer's there. We'll take it. And I feel like it's him just trying to be honest because obviously teams know now that they've listened to the offer. So he can't come out and be like, oh, we're not listening. No, you guys have been listening. Like Jack mentioned, it's been happening since the trade deadline. So to me, it seems like a bigger possibility. And I know when Stan Van Gundy was hired for the Pelicans, myself included in in talking to a lot of Pelicans fans and writers, they were saying, hey, Drew's definitely going to stay. Stan Van Gundy wants to have that veteran. He wants to have that defensive presence. Well, it seems like that really doesn't matter to them. They're still looking for big picture because they realize that they're probably not as close as competing as a lot of people are saying they are. So adding another asset, adding another young player, and you know, shipping Drew into a better situation. And then also, I think they're looking at it too. David Griffin's not stupid. Drew Holiday is due some money. They're going to have to pay him, and do they want to hurt their flexibility to give a guy that you know probably doesn't match up with their timeline at all? No, he, he certainly doesn't. And in regards to that, there was some Zach Lowe and Bobby Marks had a, a really interesting discussion about the, the Brooklyn Nets in relation to, to Drew Holiday, and they'll also bring up some packages uh, within our discussion as well. Bobby Marks says that New Orleans has Karis LeVert right as an A-level asset, whether Trajan Langdon, former uh, former uh, assistant GM at Brooklyn, has something to do with that. Uh, also, Zach Lowe mentioned in the article that I'm sure everyone here has read uh, and on the podcast that the Nets love Karis Albert. He thinks that the fit issues with him, obviously not being a shooter, blah, 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 have been overstated. But the difference from LeVert to Holiday on the defensive side, as you guys have alluded to, is huge, which will matter if Brooklyn plans to play KD a lot at center, which seems to be a trend now, I'm not sure if that trend has been instigated and, and, and furthered by Nets Twitter, but maybe a little bit. Maybe it is uh, some insider information. Who knows? Also, uh, he said in regarding to Drew Holiday, this is not an easy choice, but the Nets are approaching this season with some urgency. And my bet, my very tentative bet, would be that with proverbial guns ahead, damn, this is some massive breaking news. <laughs> Literally breaking. It's breaking Nick's, Nick's uh, bedroom over there. The walls is are that- shaking. Oh, man, you didn't let me finish the quote. Like, I was getting right to the good point. Would be that with proverbial guns ahead, they would include Levert as a centerpiece in an offer for Holiday. Now, the question that we've discussed on, I don't know, 18 podcasts in the past four weeks is, would is it Drew Holiday? Is it Karis Levert? Joe, we haven't had you on uh, recently. Let's get your thoughts first. If it's Drew, if it's Karis, uh, who are you picking? You know, this is something I'm very torn on, and I'll tell you why. Because, like I said, Drew Holiday is just that perfect fit. Like, think about it. He's not like an A-level star, but he's the guy who fits perfectly with this roster. He's like a hand-in-glove fit with this roster. But at the same time, are you ready to give up on Levert, who is on a very friendly contract right now, just played his best basketball in the bubble, averaging like 25 points a game, and has shown, hey, I could certainly be that third scoring option you need. And in my opinion, it all comes down to the fen- it all comes down to the defensive end, and how is Levert going to progress there? How is he? I know he hasn't always been the best defender. He's not a bad defender, but he hasn't always been the best. And how are you going to hide his deficiencies on defense? But I got to keep it honest. Like 
an Uncle Drew and Uncle Drew backcourt would be pretty <laughs> enticing. Like, you know, Nets fans are already ready to trademark that. And I don't know if I'm a Nets fan, I'm a little skeptical on giving up on LeBert this early, especially given his age, especially given, as both of you mentioned, that Drew Holiday is due for a contract soon. And it wouldn't surprise me if he gets about 25 to 30 a year, 30 million. So these are all things to keep in mind. How does he fit in with the Nets timeline? Is he a guy who's going to be here for a year or two and then dip? And then you gave up a 25, 26-year-old Levert as well as a pick or so. And I think that's definitely something Marks wants to weigh over, over time is that, okay, do we want to push all our chips to the center of the table now? Or do we want to stick with what we have in Levert, Dinwiddie, Allen and really give this a go? And if it fails, then we'll try to establish a blockbuster trade, in which case we can establish a, basically a third star in Brooklyn, whether it's Bradley Beal, whether it's, uh, I've heard James Harden a couple of times. Now, of course, their fit is going to be questioned, but those are the guys you would trade Karis LeVert for. If it's Drew Holiday, as much as I love him and admire his fit with the Nets, I'm a little skeptical about giving him up this early. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a tough situation. I think when you look at it from Sean Marks is like you you think, you know, Drew Holiday would be a nice fit on this team, you know, provides a defense in which they need. The thing with trading Karis LeVert, it pretty much limits you from making that possible superstar or a big player trade down the line. Because if you trade LeVert, you're not going to be able to trade for Bradley Beal if he becomes available at the deadline or even later in the offseason or like that. So it's like, do you want to push all your chips? Do you think Drew will be that final piece? Or maybe do you have something else lined up too where, hey, I'm going to go acquire Drew with Karis LeVert and maybe a draft pick and filler, and then I'm going to trade Spencer or Jared Allen somewhere else and get that other forward piece, and hey, my roster's complete. I don't need Bradley Beal because I have two perfect complementary pieces of KD and Kyrie. So I think it's Sean Marks looking at it from the bigger picture. And also you want to look at a deal that's not favorable for the Nets, but at least fair. And I feel like it could get into a situation for Drew Holiday where it's an overpay because you have so many teams trying to compete for the only available star. Yeah, the one thing that I ponder and probably came up just listening to you guys and listening to all the podcasts and stuff is whether, because there obviously are only so many people speaking about the Brooklyn Nets and Brooklyn Nets users who have you know, legitimate information behind the scenes, whether Zach Lowe's change of tune is his personal change of tune or whether he... Mu- Again, this is me Talk speculating. Yeah. Don't aggregate me. I'm, I'm again. I'm not supposed <laughs> to aggregate. But in saying that, whether he's been talking him, to people please. and yeah, <laughs> or whether it's been Sean Mark speaking through a guy like Zach Lowe, and he's trying to put that out there into the ether and sort of see what the response is from fans, from uh, you know just everyone else in general, and sort of go, well, you know, should we play the slow game and sort of just be able to judge it from the optics perspective? That's one thing that intrigues me, and I don't know. Again, just pure and utter speculation. I think that the defensive deficiencies of Karis LeVert are obvious. And even though, again, Zach Lowe has projected him in the past as being an all-defensive caliber player, because he has so many tools there, but he just hasn't done it. Like, there's been, like, three or four-game stretches that we talked about last season where he was getting, like, four steals, four steals, two steals, six steals. And it was just like, man, you do that every game. We haven't seen him in a situation where he's had to do that. Now, I personally think, like, right now, Spencer Dimwitty is a more consistent defender than Karis LeVert in a lot of ways. You know, we've seen him, you know, guard in one-on-one possessions, probably the most important player on opposing teams. Now, if Spencer and Karis are asked to do less offensively and increase their defensive workload, 
is Ume Yudoka going to be like, look, this is how you guys can be more effective. This is how you guys can pick and choose and not gamble in certain situations. Carlos Navarro is a guy that gambles way too much on the defensive end. And Drew Holiday is one of the smartest defenders in the league. He's going to always be all, def- all defensive caliber, probably for the next two, three years. Um, and I think even when he loses the athleticism, as he's starting to a little bit right now, I think he's smart, a la Chris Paul, are still going to keep him around that mark because he's just so damn intelligent and he knows how to do the right things. Um, and he's just incredibly, and a leader, like as Drew, as Joe was sort of alluding to, you know, the Nets don't have a defensive leader right now. And, you know, who's going to step up on, onto into that sort of mark? So, I don't know. I'm still probably leaning Karras and sort of playing the waiting game. You know, the optimist in me is just like, you know, we just have to give up Spencer and Torian Prince and some picks. But that's, again, you know, I, we, we might even speak about some Spencer trade rumors a little bit later in the pod. But to me, I'm still sticking with Karis um, because if I don't, then um, Nick's probably going to replace me with Joe <laughs> up next week's podcast. So um, I'll stick with Karis for now. Um, but again, last week I probably said Drew Holiday. So don't hold me to my word because it can change in an instant. I think it's more so a trade that you'd feel more comfortable pulling the trigger at the trade deadline instead of pulling it now because that means, hey, Bradley Beal wasn't available. We couldn't make the other trades. Karis Silver obviously doesn't fit with Katie and Kyrie. Let's move them. Maybe there is some scenario, like you said, Jack, though, where they can move Spencer and Jared Allen and maybe some picks to other teams and they could get the assets over to New Orleans and then Drew Holiday could end up in Brooklyn. Doesn't seem likely because it just seems like a situation where someone's going to overpay given that I can't really think off the top of my head of any other stars being quote-unquote available. Here's the worst-case scenario for both of you. The Nets play the waiting game. It doesn't totally... You know, the ball... You know, for, for all the guy, the four guys, KD, Kyrie, Spence, and Karras, all need the ball in their hands. You know, the minutes allocation isn't great. The defense certainly isn't there. Drew Holiday's gone to Denver or Golden State or Atlanta or wherever else. Bradley Beal, you know, the, the Wizards are having a little bit of success. Now, that could happen. There is a universe where all that happens, and the Nets are left like, well, we've got to always be somewhere available, though. There'll always There's be always some disgruntled star. Yeah. If someone's good, someone else is bad. It's just the balance of the league. Like, there's always – I'm not saying it's going to be a, as good a fit as Drew Holiday, but there's always something you can do. It just might be more radical than what we're assuming. And I'm not saying that, but if you feel Drew Holiday is the best fit, then you make the trade now. And if you think Drew Holiday makes you the best team in the league, which you can make the argument it does, then you make the move. But I'm not sure if the Nets feel that way or they feel like they could find another scenario where they'd be better because Drew Holiday definitely provides a defense. But I'd make an argument the Nets need defense more at a forward position to guard the likes of a Giannis, a LeBron, a Kawhi, you know, those type of guys. Where like guard stuff, yeah, you can have guards, but it feels like guards are so easy in terms of getting like switched off. Like you you run a pick and roll like a hundred times, you're gonna end up getting the big on you. So I feel like you can make an argument where they really need to provide defense in the forward area more so than the guard area. Yeah, unless they're coming up against Golden State, which is basically the the sort of team where you're looking toward it's like, well, who's gonna guard Stephen Clay? And you know, that has been rumored, you know, projected forward, you know, going back into the future nine months. You know, there's a Nets and, and Warriors finals. You know, is Karras and Kyrie gonna be guarding him on the perimeter or what, what's gonna be happening there? So I agree. I think the forward position is is of ut- utmost importance and how you sort of figure that out. I have absolutely no idea. I'm not paid the big bucks to do that. I'm paid to speculate about it, um, in, in that sort of sense. But yeah, I, I've always sort of said just the, the Nets need defensive talent. And Drew Holiday is a guy that can guard up a little bit. I'm probably less confident of that now than you know when he was guarding KD in, in the playoffs a couple of years ago. And you know, KD, obviously, big fan of his. I reposted the, the clip of him sort of saying he's the best guard defender in the league. And 
We all probably pretty much know that. You know, Marcus Smart is probably the, one of the few guys who can guard probably two, three, four, five. So yeah, I I mean, ideally, it'd be like, man, can we get Ben Simmons? But Drew Holiday um, is probably the guy who's going to continue to be rumored. Now, before we move on, um, I will allude to Joe sort of was talking about the possible salary implications. Bobby Marks did report, well, didn't report, he alluded to on a podcast saying that Drew and his team would likely want three years, $90 million as an extension. Makes sense. Seems relatively fair as well. But also is maybe an extension that doesn't look too great. Not Maybe not in the realms of Russell Westbrook, but maybe somewhat Chris Pauly, where it's just like, Drew Holiday's still really, really good and can be consistent. Um, but he also, you know, it just doesn't necessarily sit totally comfortable with me. Before I get to the hypothetical... I'll just the, jump in there real quick, Jack. And if, you, if he's extended past KD and Kyrie, that makes you feel a little bit more uncomfortable too. Because if you're in like a win-now situation with KD and Kyrie and you have this guy as a third star and you're overpaying, you don't really care as much. But in a hypothetical scenario of Kyrie and KD both left and Jack's itching his eye because it would make him cry, then <laughs> uh, Drew Holiday, you know, that number would be like, oh God, this guy has to be our first or second best player at the age of 32, 33 on that number. Kind of a yikes. Yeah, Joe, how's it make you feel? Nick, you actually just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say that. And as much as I shouldn't, because it feels like the era is just about to begin, I'm always thinking about what life is going to look like for this team post Kyrie and KD. And personally, obviously, a lot can change between now and then. We don't know what's going to happen. As we know, Kyrie stood in front of 20,000 people at TD Garden and said, if you guys plan on having me back, I want to resign here. And obviously, we know how that ended up. <laughs> so we don't know what Kyrie's going to do. Shot. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing green today. Maybe I should have wore a different shirt. <laughs> we don't know what this team is going to look like come three years from now. We don't know what it's going to look like come a month from now. Never mind three years from now. So as Nick said, how are you going to feel? Like you said, you can hide it if Drew Holiday is your third best player if he's producing at that level. But it kind of gives me, and I don't want to, I don't want to compare before I get like slandered for this. Drew Holiday will always be a better player than Darren Williams. But it kind of gives me that vibe. Now, I'm not saying Drew Holiday is going to fall off. But you know how we had an aging Darren Williams as our best player at one point? And at the time when we had that, like, quote, super team, though, who's going to stop them with Jason Kidd on the cover of the magazine? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> at the time, it looked like a great idea. But as you got later into Darren's contract, you're like, okay, like, this guy is not who we thought he was. This guy is not the same player that we once signed to a five-year, $98, $100 million contract. Now, obviously, Drew Holiday will always have the defense as his calling card, and we don't see often a player fall off the earth as quick as Darren Williams did. So yeah. I don't think it's that level of concern, but I see the similarities in the sense that, okay, if Durant decides to leave, if Kyrie decides to leave, is Drew Holiday, like, how would the fan base feel with Drew Holiday as the number one option at, like, 34 years old? And I think that's something to consider, too. Even yeah, though Definitely something to consider. I'll say this about Drew. I feel a lot more confident about his personality in comparison to Darren Williams, Definitely. where Darren Williams was just like such a diva. And to be honest, I'll give him a little bit of a, a pass because a lot of it was like his body just giving out. Like his ankles exactly. were just shot and he couldn't run. Obviously, Drew's dealt with injury history in the past. Still relatively healthy right now. But still, that's where the argument comes where like, hey, let's keep Karis Avert because if Katie and Kyrie leave, this is a guy we have on the contract. He's a young player. The fans love him. Or even in the other aspect of uh, Katie and Kyrie stay, Karis is growing into his prime. This is a player that maybe could carry a little bit more to the load in the regular season. Let Kyrie and KD kind of go the LeBron route where, you know, we don't have to try as much during the regular season. Comes postseason, we can turn it up. 
Yeah, uh, the Nets still paying uh, Darren Williams, or did that stop this year? I think last year, yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah. as Carter once said. (laughs) (laughs) But it ended in uh, June, the final payment. They were paying him like fifteen thousand a day for like, God knows how long. (laughs) Yeah, he was. He was trying to uh, fight UFC. Yeah, he's doing like yeah, he was doing like an MMA podcast or whatever he was doing. You know, you can't compete with the Brooklyn Buzz, my guy. Sorry about that. But the final thing I wanted to touch on with Drew Holiday was, I guess, the hypotheticals and the teams and the packages the Nets would be going against. Now, the Nets would obviously be offering Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, or Jarrett Temple, whatever, a version of filler and a first rounder. Denver, who is the other highly, one of the other highly rumored teams, Gary Harris, Bol Bol, and some lightly protected picks. Golden State, their second pick, Andrew Wiggins, and maybe they get pick 13 in return. Now, the reason why Jared Allen isn't in there, apparently, is because of Jackson Hayes. One thing I will say about that, hearing that, I you have Jared Allen, who I think is actually a really, really good fit, whereas Jackson Hayes is a guy who I just don't know what he's going to be as an NBA player. Now, again, I'm judging this off a rookie season. I just wanted to preface that before we get stuck into it. If you can get a ready-made center who I think fits well next to Ingram, next to Zion, and just a good love threat, um, I just think that Jackson Hayes hasn't proved he can be a starter in this league long term. And Jerry Redland has done it in his early 20s. Why not get the talent who's already proven it there? Now, again, that's just me. And also, Jackson Hayes was just spitting out expletives about the fact he was left out of the rookie and um, whatever, the Rising Stars Challenge game. <laughs> Whereas you've got a guy with the, the character of Jared Allen as well. The dude just likes to play basketball and fix computers. Um, you know, And in New Orleans, I think he would be uh, an awesome fit. That's all I'll say about Jared Allen. But Joe, how would you rank those packages? Do you think that the Brooklyn Nets have the best package out of those three teams? Because they, they are seem to be in the prime seat to acquire the services of Drew Holiday. Yeah, if they are offering, if the Nets are offering Karis LeVert, as you said, he's an A-level prospect. That's how they view him. I don't think there's a package that can beat that one. It's, do we want to offer Levert for Holiday? And in my opinion, if Denver was offering Michael Porter Jr., I think that one would definitely compete with our package. But in this sense, I think they said he's untouchable or we're not going to look to trade him. So Gary Harris, Bol Bol. Bol Bol was the star of the scrimmages in the bubble. Like, that man was the entire time. He didn't get much run during the actual meaningful games, but during... During the scrimmages, that man was looking like Kevin Durant, just like taking three dribbles and pulling up from 40 feet. Uh, Kid just oozes potential. And he's definitely an intriguing prospect for any team. But in terms of packages, I definitely think the Nets have the best package if they decide Drew Holiday is the route they want to go. But as Nick mentioned earlier, getting Drew Holiday now is only the system if, okay, we really think he's the final piece to this championship team. Because if you don't think that, if like why are you going to trade all your chips for him? when a better star might come down the road. And essentially, by trading for Holiday, your flexibility is pretty much, like, I hate to say it, your flexibility is ruined. It's done. Like, as Nick said earlier, also, you can't trade for a Bradley Beal. You can't trade for a, um, who else did we mention? For a James Harden. Whatever disgruntled star might come up. Yeah, you're not going to have any assets to trade for them at that point. It's kind of going to be like the Lakers after the Anthony Davis trade. So if they decide to go that route, I think without a doubt, Brooklyn does have the best package if they want to include LeVert. Who yeah, I feel I, like, yeah, New Orleans will definitely look to say, yeah, we want Levert or no deal. That's how I view it. 
Yeah, I think Levert's the best player in the, any of the offers, and that would instantly help them win at this time, you know, given they'd probably be able to compete for the playoffs. There is some question about the fit with Karis Levert. Jack's brought it up before. You know, Brandon Ingram, Zion, like, does Levert fit next to those two having the ball in his hands? Obviously, you could see how that goes. And like you said, Joe, about ball, ball, like, there's a lot of potential, but it's kind of like no guarantee, and there's still a lot of injury concern. If they were offering sure. Michael Porter Jr., I would say Denver probably has the edge because of the fit and the potential he could have in New Orleans. And, like, there's a chance, you know, David Griffin could want the number two pick. Maybe he's in love with Anthony Edwards and he falls to number two. I don't think he'll go after LaMelo Ball, given that LeVar already is talking trash about New Orleans. So so I don't think that's a possibility. But it really depends on what New Orleans is looking for, if they're looking to compete right now or if they're looking for something more long-term. I don't think Denver's offer with Bull Bull and Gary Harris really competes with what the Nets and the Warriors are offering. But if the if David Griffin loves a number two pick and there's a player that he really wants, that makes more sense for New Orleans to get the player that you exactly want than getting a player that you kind of have to force fit. Yeah, I think I'll recount the comments I made earlier in the podcast that David Griffin said. He's trying to build a sustainable winning yep. franchise. How do you do that? You know, Carlos Levert, 26 years old, in his prime, and going to be in his prime for the next five seasons, hopefully longer. Hopefully we see Carlos Levert absolutely balling out for the next 10 years. The number two pick. That's a guy that you can have as a franchise cornerstone next to your already two franchise cornerstones. And whether that's Anthony Edwards as an athlete in the in the backcourt, whether that's you know, I actually think LaMelo Ball, you know, it's it's all like LeVar is all just talk. I think that LeVar is getting less credible by the day. The LaMelo and Lonzo in the same locker room. I man, that'd be I actually wouldn't mind it because they actually balance each other's games out a little bit. That'd be cool to just see there. Uh, I feel like Lonzo court. could keep him in check too. Yeah, I feel like, you know, when you have your big brother around, you're always trying to sort of just like, oh, I don't want to upset my big bro. Being a big brother, I'm always like that with my little bro, even though he's about uh, two inches taller than me and about got 30 kilos on me. But That's the same thing for Lonzo. And, uh, yeah, ba basically. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, I guess to, to put a pin in anything, to put in all uh, pin in, I'm sure this will be something that we chat about on the next pod, if not in, in future pods. Joe, any final thoughts on this Drew Holiday situation? Do you think that, what is the, give me a, to, to steal Nick's thing, I'm hosting today. Give me a percentage that we see Drew Holiday as a Brooklyn Net in 2020, 2021. Damn, I have to say that now. 20, ah. <laughs> percentage, that's kind of tough. Um, I'll give you a range. I'm going to say 40 to 60% it happens. That's and frankly, I think that's a little high because I don't think it happens, but I think that, oh, there's definitely buzz and there's definitely rumblings that this might happen. Yeah, you see what I did there, right? But there's definitely a chance that this happens, and I don't want to shoot it down. But ultimately, I do think, and if you guys listen to Anthony Puccio, he's been away for a little while while he does work. But I was in one of his periscopes, and he said, are we going to see Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving kind of just trade the whole core for a guy they want? Or are we going to see them rock with the core? And by trading the core, yes, we understand there's a bigger picture. But he mentioned how that kind of signals to him that we came to Brooklyn, and we're going to build our own thing. If you keep the guys here, it kind of symbolizes like we liked what you guys were building in Brooklyn and we want to continue on that. Now, obviously, if they fall short, that's going to change. They're going to make a blockbuster trade next summer, as I mentioned. But I think that at least until the trade deadline, I think they're going to rock with this team they have and just make small additions. I think Karis LeVert, I think Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, maybe. I think these guys are going to be on the roster come opening day and maybe you see a little shuffling here and there. Yeah, I think uh, the Nets would probably 
look to not part with Levert if they can. And this is a guy that Kevin Durant has talked about liking his game and like one of the reasons that like he kind of came here is some of the, the young core they had and what they were doing. So that could play a part into it too. I'm probably leaning more towards like 33%, you know, one in three chance because I think there's other trades on the table too. I think the Bradley Beal trade is still a possibility. We had some rumblings about that a little bit more too. I don't want to rule that out. The Ben Simmons thing could be possible because of just Daryl Morey looking to get a little crazy and get off some stuff and try to get better fits over there. Or there could be some other guy that we don't even know about. Or like Joe said, it could be a minor trade where maybe Jared Allen and Torian Prince, or maybe it's Spencer Dinwiddie. You know what I mean? I think Karras is a guy they probably want to keep the most just because not only he has the most potential, Jack's brought this up a lot, Sean Mark's first draft pick, fits the culture, great locker room guy. Everyone seems to like him on the team, obviously at that age and having that potential. And he's also your biggest trade chip. And you don't necessarily want to lose him unless you're cashing out fully. What do you think yeah, percentage-wise, Jack? Uh, I was going to say 30 to 50. Now, I was going to steal Joe and go a range. Now, but 50, you're, a, was... you're a co-host, so you can't do ranges. you got to give me a full <laughs> number. <laughs> oh, come on, bro. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go 34%. I'll go 1% above okay. you. It's like the price is right sort of thing uh, where you sort of steal from it. I, I think you forgot to mention as well, Nick, that Karis looks awesome in those shorts. Those shorts, have, <laughs> I'm, I've seen them now on like so many different yeah. platforms that people have been sending to me in my, in my DMs and like they're expensive, but it's summer down here. So I'd be wearing them a lot. So I'm very much contemplating making like literally an investment because they're pretty expensive, but I'm going to be going after them. In saying that, I I think Karras, obviously his fit is, is well known. We know how, how much the organization loves him. KD loves him. We, we've seen him doing the workouts and stuff. And Drew Holiday, we've seen all of that. And, and we've heard the compliments of him. Around Bradley Beal, I spoke about it on JBT uh, with Nick Busing. Subscribe to that on iTunes, Spotify, and you know, hit up OGD Basketball on YouTube. His comments to me are just like, he's leaving the door not just a jar, but it's basically like half open. He's just like, I signed this deal so I could have flexibility. If we're not winning, I want to go somewhere where I can win. Now, Brooklyn is obviously somewhere where he's going to win more than Washington. Now, there could be other teams. Uh, again, probably Denver and Golden State yeah. are two other teams that would be in the running as well. And if a team, if one of those three teams makes the move for Drew Holiday, then it automatically takes them out of the Bradley Beal sweepstakes. Now, I think we've sort of talked about numerous times that the defensive fit isn't amazing, but Bradley Beal is a top 15 player and is also only one year older than Karis LeVert, alluding to sort of Joe's comments about building a sustainable future post-KD Kyrie. Bradley Beal's a guy that you can still have success with going forward if you have some decent pieces around him. And the depth and the roster on the Brooklyn Nets is much better than Thomas Bryant-ish Smith and, and, and the rest of those guys there in Washington. I'm sure my guy Nick Busing will hate me for that, but he <laughs> knows it as well. So it, it is a, it's, a, it's a fine balance. It's, you're walking that tightrope and are you going to be falling off and diving into to Bradley Beal or you're going to be falling off and, and diving into Drew Holiday? It's something to consider and I think it's something that we've sort of looked at from all angles and we'll continue to do so as new angles are presented, which is basically probably by the time this episode is over, he's traded to Brooklyn. Um, uh, just, do you guys think that Drew Holiday will be traded before next season starts or that New Orleans will just kind of hold on and wait? Obviously, they probably lose a little bit of value given that he's an expiring contract. Well, obviously, as a player option for next year, but it's most likely going to be declined. So an expiring contract, you're only getting him for half the season. So you're probably going to get less value. So would it make more sense for New Orleans to trade before the season started? Yeah, the way I look at it, just like you said, player option essentially is going to be an expiring contract. In the sense, it's the same as Dinwiddie. You look, if you want to trade him, you look to do it now. Because a whole year of him, while it's not like ideal, it definitely looks a lot better than, okay, we acquired this guy at the trade deadline. We might have him for like 
30 games. So yeah, short in season two. Exactly. Even if they're taking, I don't know, 85 cents on the dollar for Holiday, I think it's a trade you look to do if you're David Griffin. Yeah, it's similar with Victor Oladipo. You, you, those are the two guys on the market right now that are the quote-unquote stars. They're not like A-level, all-NBA-level stars, even though Oladipo did make one a couple of seasons ago. Uh, I, in saying that, I, I, I think that it would be... I don't think that they're totally all in on it. I think that they're just putting... I think David Griffin is a guy that uses the media incredibly well, probably better than any... Him and Daryl Morey, to me, are the two guys that know how to, you know, twist the strings of ESPN, the athletic, and go, you know what? Um, we kind of want to aggressively trade this guy. Now, I think also it's going to be up to what Drew Holiday wants because I think that we've heard in the past and we've mentioned on this podcast and, and on, on the outlet and on JBT, you know, David Griffin called Drew Holiday an MVP. Uh, now, obviously, the context of those comments have changed significantly since then. But to lose Drew Holiday for pennies on the dollar, I just think that how we see this play out in the coming weeks and probably by the time we do our next episode, we'll probably have some new information regarding, you know, a team that really wants to jump in there, like an Atlanta. It's just like, let's pair Trey Young with him. These guys really want to win. Um, and, you know, there's always rumors, but I think that we're going to continue to get news progressing forward. But in, I, I just echo the sentiments you guys made. Uh, I think it and has we might to see specific made. trade packages. Like that's when trades really start to get serious where it's like, oh, yeah, X team is offering XX player. Let's see what happens. And that's where you really get the traction. And that's where you really see the leverage. And I think we're probably close to seeing that happen, given the draft. Yeah, we might have to do like a live show about not getting Drew Holiday, <laughs> it seems to me, because I've spoken about him so much. But in saying that, there are trade rumors aplenty. And Spencer Dimwitty went to his Instagram, posted a story, and via Legion Hoops Instagram, he's like, Spencer Dimwitty trade discussions are occurring according to Legion Hoops. He basically put it on his Instagram. He was happy to put it out there. Now, Joe, Legion Hoops isn't the most credible of sources. But Spencer Dinwiddie putting it out there on his own social media platform, he's now representing himself. So all these little things add up. What do you, what was your when you saw this? When I put it in the Google Doc or you saw it on Twitter, had it or you, you're probably following Spencer on, on Instagram. What was your immediate response seeing that? Well, I feel like most NBA players, and especially Spencer, they're seeing everything that goes on online that we're seeing to some extent. Obviously, they don't see all of it, but if all of Nets Twitter is throwing together packages for Bradley Beal, or Dinwiddie is the focal point of the package, or let's say Lavert is, but Dinwiddie is included in the package, he is seeing that online. He's seeing like, oh, like they're trying to trade me. Like I understand the nature of this, and I don't think it's people always like question under like I'll see people comment under his posts like, oh, like you're leaving, you're leaving, like just a bunch of like kind of rude like kick you out comments. And I don't think it's necessarily that he wants out of Brooklyn. I think he knows what's at stake and what might happen given the situation of the team and where he stands in the situation of the team. So I think while he sees all of this, he's kind of just playing, having fun with it. That's his personality. Um, he realizes, like I said, he's a troll. okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of like a troll in a sense. Like you see what he does to the Knicks all the time, but he realizes, okay, I might be here for a couple more years. I might get traded tomorrow. And he's just really trying to have fun with it. Regardless, you see this often with guys who aren't quite like star quality, but are very good players that are just constantly thrown on the trade block. We saw it with Brooke Lopez for about like seven years. So I think he realizes the nature of what's going on and he's really just trying to have fun with it and enjoy while he's here. Because you saw his tweet the other day. He does have the goal in mind of winning a chip with his team. He said, I'm not trying for six, man. Like I, we're winning this thing. So he yeah. definitely wants to stay. There's no secret. 
Yeah, I think Spencer's always talked about wanting to stay and adapt and being willing to take on any role. So I think if it was up to him, he'd stay in Brooklyn because he wants to have a shot at a championship. I think with this stuff, it's just purely Spencer doing what he kind of trolling or just being like <laughs> doing his thing. Like you said, it's his personality. That's just who he is. Yeah, I mean, he's he's our Draymond Green. We don't need we don't need Drew Holiday. We've got we've got our Draymond Green out later. And yeah, I like that tweet. You know, I, I think Spencer is just malleable. He's intelligent. He just knows how to you know pull the strings on the puppets of social media. You know, he's now representing himself. You know, all these different little things. I think uh, 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 Spencer just Spencer just doing Spencer things. And I think that as Nets fans, we know that. But people who sort of see it posted by some aggregator twitter page like legion hoops or like nba central it's just like all right let's just comment with whatever gif is fun and silly or whatever um to sort i of will say this about legion hoops he has actually had like a couple decent uh rumors in terms of like the nets i actually think he's a nets fan i think he, he actually in... is yeah as yeah. of a couple of years ago unless the guy changed like he was a nets fan i remember I want to say he reported something with Jeremy Lin signed. So he probably has like a light net source. I'm not sure how credible it really is or if he's just kind of overblowing this thing. But I, I wouldn't completely rule it out as something being factual. And I think we all know the Nets are probably looking at offers because having three really good guards isn't necessarily a recipe for a championship. They need to add some other pieces to the roster. So Nick has confirmed it here, folks. Spencer Dinwiddie traded for Jeremy Lin to the Zhejiang Dragons. Okay. <laughs> I don't I think that's forward, that. Jack, all right? Come on. Uh, hey, Jeremy Lin can play a couple of positions up. Um, I don't think I said that team name right, team name right either. Joe, you, you probably know. What's the team name that I was trying to allude to? I, I really don't know. I think it's the Dragons. I don't know how to say the yeah. town name that I'm not trying um, to <laughs> Look, it was probably better than Shaq at the end of the day, so that's all that matters. As long as I'm saying things better than Shaq and Corey Waldron, um, then I'm doing okay. Which is, uh, which is uh, not hard. Uh, it's always easier to, to throw shed when people aren't here, so I'll just keep doing it. Now, final sort of trade little piece of news was in the piece that Zach Lowe wrote. Uh, there was a little bit of a tidbit on Aaron Gordon. And Lowe says that the Nets discussed Aaron Gordon in prior years, but that interest has likely waned. The league-wide interest in Aaron Gordon is murkier. Brooklyn discussed chasing him in prior years, but that is probably moot now. Now, I don't like hearing that, to be honest, because I still have, have an interest. Now, I'm not the, the Aaron Gordon stand. I was actually going to post an Aaron Gordon defensive highlight. I've got that you know in the scheduled tweets ready. Maybe I'm going to have to delete it. Joe. Are we not going to see Aaron Gordon? Is Aaron Gordon going to be in Orlando for the foreseeable future? Is there no chance he's on the Brooklyn Nets next season or the next season trade deadline? I'm not sure about his availability with Orlando, but I don't personally, I don't like his odds to land here. I'm not saying I don't like him coming here. I don't like his odds to come here. I think it's really just something that was generated by the fans. Like, okay, look at Orlando. They have like six big men here and they're going to try to get rid of one of them. And I think Gordon, don't quote me on this, might be due for a contract sometime soon. But I don't think it's quite as it's it's definitely feasible. I don't think it's quite as like entertaining of an offer as we want to think. I think the idea of Aaron Gordon is a little better than the actual player, if you know what I'm saying. So for example, yes. Kind of like Torian Prince. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, don't get me started on that. Torian Prince can have a bounce back here. I'm one of his few defenders, but here we go. That's all I like to hear. But Maybe anyway. I could defend. No. <laughs> but Aaron Gordon. When looking at like the eye test, yes, he seems like a good fit for this roster. He can defend well. He can be that four, maybe sometimes five that uh, they close the game out with. But he doesn't do quite a great job at spacing the floor. He's capable, but not quite a great shooter. Um, he relies a lot on athleticism, which obviously he's still young. That shouldn't be too much of an issue. But 
is Orlando going to jump at a package of Dinwiddie? Because I know for a fact, like, Drew Holiday is something else. I'm definitely not trading Levert for Aaron Gordon. So in terms of how possible it would be, I'm not quite sure. But if it were to happen, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I mean, it is disappointing, like you said, Jack. Like, you kind of like, oh, wow, Aaron Gordon's value is going down in terms of trades. Maybe the Nets could kind of jump in on that. But I agree with Joe to the extent where it's like Aaron Gordon is a great idea. Would it actually work out in Brooklyn? It's kind of like a 50-50 thing because he's just one of those players where it could just like really, you know, pop off or he could just be terrible and just miss a million corner threes, not be the (laughs) defender that we wanted him to be or anything like that. But I also could see a scenario where the Nets could get him for real cheap. Orlando's like finally realizes like, hey, you know, guys, we should probably rebuild. Like we're never winning a championship with this team. We need to get some more young assets. Maybe they're able to get a deal done for Torian Prince and some draft picks, you know, where they don't have to necessarily even give up really anybody. Maybe it's two first-round picks, which really sucks. But at the end of the day, first-round picks aren't the biggest factor for you. And it's been rumored that the Nets are trying to get off Torian Prince's contract. Could easily cost them, you know, two first-round picks. One pick to get Gordon, one pick to get off the contract. You feel better about Gordon and what he can provide the team. Gives you a little bit more flexibility. Somebody can play the four, let KD play at the five a little bit more. Even play Aaron Gordon at small ball five sometimes. So I don't hate the idea of him on the team. It's not my first option. But if you get him on a really cheap deal, pull the trigger. Because it's not even like he's a bad asset. I want to say he has two years remaining on his contract, and they're both declining. Yeah, I think that's the way they structured the deal. And Aaron Gordon is a lot close, closer to being Brooklyn's version of Draymond Green than Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep on killing him for that comment. But it's nothing. It, it's all in jest. He loves to troll. I love to troll as well. The open invite remains. The, the season's rapidly approaching. Maybe you want a couple of tequila shots. So come join us, Mr. Dinwiddie. Um, I'll at you a little bit later. I might uh, open up the DMs now because, you know, can't contact your agency anymore because you are your agency. So open invite is always uh, regarding the Brooklyn Buzz. If you want me to leave and you don't like the Aussie accent, you don't talk to my two guys here. They are much more knowledgeable than I. I said that we would not talk about any more trade stuff, but Nick brought this to my attention, and I thought that it would be worth chatting about with Joe and you. Now, Stephen Silas, uh, the new coach of the Houston Rockets, said this in regards to playing style. In today's NBA, you cannot play one way. Small Small ball can be a part of it on the offensive end. Want to be a little bit less predictable. On the defensive end, the same thing. He advocated for having the option to use a traditional big man. Joe Money McCarr is that traditional big man, Jared Allen. If he decides to go traditional big man, then I feel like Jared Allen fits that quote perfectly in the sense that, okay, Jared Allen is a young and up-and-coming, I don't want to say star, but, you know, he's, he's a rising star, I'd say. He's got a good ceiling in terms of what he can be. And as we know, I remember Dinwiddie said, quote, Jared Allen will be a top-five center one day, if you remember that quote. Now, I don't know if he'll get to that level, but, you know, top 10, I don't think that's too out of the picture, maybe top 12 or so in terms of what his ceiling can be, Uh, especially if you place the right guys around him. If Houston decides, okay, this is the way we want to go. And I think Silas is, that's a great quote because he's really saying, okay, this is the way D'Antoni wanted things done. He wanted a bunch of isolation plays. He wanted a ton of shooters and he wanted to play small, but versatile, as we saw with 6'5 PJ Tucker playing center and James Harden taking jump balls. But (laughs) if that's the way they want to go from here on out, if they want to go to more of a traditional center, I think the only one on their roster is Tyson Chandler, who's basically on the verge of retirement. So if they want to give Brooklyn, P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, in exchange for Allen and maybe some type of pick, I don't know who says no to that trade, but I think it's definitely a possibility. 
Yeah, I mean, I would be more than happy to get Robert Covington. You know, when I was alluding to grabbing a forward earlier in the show, that'd be a guy you look at. Obviously, you know, we talked about not necessarily amazing on-ball defender, but off-ball helps cover up a lot of mistakes the way he gets in passing lanes. And if you can get him and maybe you have to use Torian Prince as a filler, you throw in a first-round pick, whatever it is, Robert Covington's great. Maybe get really desperate and you move, make a move for, you know, P.J. Tucker and Daniel House. Maybe that's something you could kind of look at to give you some depth and then give you, you know, some real toughness defensively. So I think Jared Allen would be a great fit. You know, talking to my guy Dalton Pence, who actually has some sources in Houston, has mentioned in the past that they have had interest in Jared Allen and interest in DeAndre Jordan. So I wouldn't rule it out as a completely non-possibility. I think the Nets will make the call. It kind of depends on what Houston wants to do with those wings because the Nets don't want Eric Gordon. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's really either going to be like, are you willing to part with Covington, Daniel House, or P.J. Tucker because they're really the only guys that make sense for Brooklyn. Oh, God, please make a DeAndre Jordan. That would be awesome. That would be so much better for the Brooklyn Nets going forward. But we've got a couple <laughs> more topics to, to get to. Uh, Garrett Temple and Kevin Durant. Now, Joe... We saw the report from Ian Begley of SNY about the Brooklyn Nets possibly, and you know, there's, there's stronger rumors around the fact that they will decline his team option. Now, we spoke about, and you spoke about Joe's side not willing to dive into the, to the tax. Obviously, for Garrett Temple, who's on a team option of about four and a half, five million dollars, that would cost you know anything upwards of $17 million, depending on how far into the tax the Nets are. Is Joe's side really willing to pay the tax, really willing to open up his pockets deeply? Is it not worth it? Can Garrett Temple still come back um, on a smaller, more manageable deal? What are your thoughts, I guess, on this uh, news that uh, came out from Ian Begley, who, to me, is one of the most accredited you know, journalists you have when it comes to New York basketball? Yeah, I think Josiah is definitely a man of his word. I'm not going to discredit him. I think when the time comes to pay Joe Harris, I think we're going to see, yeah, like he he truly means that if I want to build a contender, like I said I'd pay up, this is what it's going to be. I just don't think he believes Garrett Temple is worth the $5 million. Now, I think originally when I saw that, like, oh, there's a possibility that they re-sign him for the minimum because Garrett Temple, he's basically an average NBA player at this point, right? He's not terrible. He's not good by any means. But why I love him on this team is his leadership. I don't know if you guys saw this clip, but it's a clip of him like teaching Jeremiah Martin in that game against Portland. He's like, I don't care if that's CJ McCollum. I don't care yeah. if that's Michael Jordan. You go out and guard him. Like, that's the ball right there. And we really see just like his impact on the team from like a non, from an off the court standpoint. And for that reason, I just love to have him, maybe not necessarily in the rotation, but definitely on the back end of the roster in sort of that role that. We saw Jamal Crawford play before he went down in his first game. And I think, like I said, Josai, so far, I don't know, knock on wood, but Josai is like really, he's listened to the fans. He sees what we're talking about. He's brought back the throwback jerseys. Like this man listens to his fans and knows, okay, this is what the organization wants. This is how we build a sustainable contender. And when I think the time is right, which now is the time, like now is the time that's right. I'm willing to pay up for the players that will help us win this title. So I think Garrett Temple, whether it's in Brooklyn or elsewhere, he's going to sign some type of short minimum contract deal, and he's going to be that great veteran presence that we saw he was in his first year in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think you look at it this way. Joe Sy is willing to spend money for moves that like truly are going to be the difference maker. And I'm yeah. not trying to disrespect Garrett Temple. The Nets can win a championship if he's not on next year's roster. You know, there's guys that can replace him, you know, from a leadership perspective, be it Jamal Crawford or maybe bring a guy like Jared Dudley back. And then from an on-the-court perspective, 
TLC can kind of fill in some of that role. You know, basketball IQ necessarily isn't the same level, but coming at a lot cheaper price. And I think Jack and I talked about this in the DMs where he only cost $5 million on the contract. It would be like $12, $12 million to, Yeah, up to that amount in tax, depending on what you do. And like as much as Josiah is super rich, nobody likes spending money for no reason. Like, you know sure. what I mean? If you're asking him to already spend the tax for Joe Harris, you can't really ask him to do it for Garrett Temple just because he's not that level of a player and he's not necessarily going to lower the net ceiling. Like, it would be great to have him around. If you can get him to stay for that vet minimum, do it. It doesn't seem likely, though, just in the scenario where a team declines your option, then you sign back for cheaper. It just doesn't seem very realistic. But, hey, you know, I- I'm okay if Joe Sy doesn't want to pay out the money for Garrett Temple, as long as he pays out the money for Joe Harris. I mean, obviously. But, I mean, I'm probably maybe slightly higher on, on Garrett Temple than you guys. I I see the utmost value that he provides off the court. I think that he is the Brooklyn Nets leader in that locker room right now. You know, he is the Prez. And, you know, the leadership that he provides on and off the court. You know, defensive leader, I think, in Orlando. I think that's the reason why the Nets was, were... He was a key reason why the Nets were so damn good and, and achieved above expectations. And not because he is individually a great defender, but he is a good defender. And he's also a great defensive communicator and a good communicator in general. Also, I think Kyrie Irving is a big reason why we have Garrett Temple right now. And how much is Joe Sy willing to appease Kyrie Irving and his superstars to be like, look, if Kyrie's like, look, I told you to get this guy, you got to keep this guy. Now, if Kyrie, you know, sends a text or a DM to Joe Sy or whatever, that maybe, that maybe has some sort of an effect. Um, I could certainly see it because Garrett Temple is... You know, it wasn't just him. I've heard Bradley Beal in the past say he's the best teammate I've ever had. He will get snapped up quick, smart, uh, in a market that is quite shallow. And, you know, every sort of team is looking for some sort of vet presence with knowledge. And I think he can still contribute. You know, there are going to be games where he goes 1 of 11, but there are also going to be games where he goes 4 of 7 uh, from the field and also play some good defense. So uh, I, I'm intrigued to see how it plays out, as I've probably said about all of these stories. But, you know, the Garrett Temple one is something that I've been keeping an eye on. And we've brought up a couple of times on the pod you know, other people sort of saying, you know, declining the option or whatever. But yeah, if TLC obviously was great, um, I think that being a vet president, I don't know how sustainable the bubble was. I think the bubble was probably better for him. Uh, but we're also going to have no fans anyway, which I think also is a similar version of the the playing environment that they had in Orlando. But final topic, had to get to... Just we one quick to... note on Garrett Temple. Sorry, yeah, Jeff, yeah. we're trying to get this out. Um it also helps that you're able to keep the $5 million on the books in terms of trades for the trade deadline because that's a favorable contract to trade. It's expiring, it and the Nets don't necessarily have a ton of tradable contracts other than the players that really matter to them. So if you have a $5 million where a guy that you think is maybe disposable in terms of not having an impact on winning, you package that with Musa or Rodion's, get yourself up to 8 to $10 million. Wow, you just added a really good role player, which could end up being a guy like Serge Ibaka who signs with a bad team just to get the, the number that he wants, and you pull him in at the deadline. So that's another reason to keep him. Obviously, it's still making Joe, Joe Sy spend a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, if you have a lot of money, you don't go to your grave with it, Nick. You, you, you've put it all out there because you want to win a damn chip. Now it's easier said than done. And I think also... Forget like the grandkids know, or anything, you know, we're, we're just worried about the championships. You know, I mean, future generations. I said... I literally said in the last pod, he gained $7 billion uh, since the start of last season, I think it was. And is the, uh, and again, via my rankings and research, was the, is the second richest owner behind uh, Steve Barmer, who is like $50 billion above everyone else. Final topic, and a topic that I'm sure everyone is intrigued to hear about, is that Kevin Durant's recovery has been a big topic of late. 
And we've heard many a people show some optimism uh, in regards to that, including some medical experts. Um, this was via a, a, a medical expert, Dr. Laith uh, Jaswari. Uh, that's better for him, so I don't see him holding him back. The only thing is that he hasn't played for a year and a half, so it'll take him time to get back into the room. Some people are saying, oh, it's because he had this Achilles injury. That's <laughs> not true. It's that when anyone doesn't play for a year and a half, it's going to take time and to get back into the flow. But he should be fine. Um, now, Joe, when you heard this from uh, this sort of source, did it make you, did it change your sort of thoughts on it? Did it uh, make you more positive, uh, more, more negative? I, I don't know. Did it make you more positive? I've always been kind of positive and optimistic on how Durant was going to return, just because this is Kevin Durant we're talking about. We've never seen a player like him. And while there are like cheaper clones like Brandon Ingram, and like <laughs> we will never see another player just like Durant, like to that efficiency. So I feel like that didn't really surprise me, but I actually read that article that you retweeted, Nick, about why Durant and his, like, it was like the dip in his uh, shot. Yep. Like, oh, that's good mechanics. It was, yeah, it was article. a great Probably article. the best article I read in 2020 pertaining to basketball, <laughs> to be honest. It was a great one, yeah. If you haven't read it, people, I definitely recommend you read it. But it talks Mike about... Prater, uh, for those playing along at home, Mike Prater and his newsletter. If you're not subscribed, make sure you do it. He's an absolute... He's a genius. A uh, real basketball savant. Definitely. Um, but anyway, touching on that article, it talks about Durant's dip in his jump shot and how he gets his shot off, one, so quick, and two, with such a high like release point that he's just like so hard to guard. So even if he loses some explosiveness off of that uh, Achilles that he tore, he's still going to be, as we've heard, we've heard this over and over again, he's still going to be similar to a Dirk Nowitzki-type player, where, okay, like I'm not as explosive, but try guarding my one-legged fadeaway where I could just shoot over you and... Which he shoots over with his left leg, yes. not his right one. So, because yeah. typically, right-handed players tend to jump and move off of their left leg. Now, he's right-handed and tore his right Achilles. Not a lot of people know this, but the only player to tear, or if not the only, one of two, to tear his right Achilles like Durant did was Dominique Wilkins, who actually came back better. I don't know how, but he came back better from his Achilles tear. And was averaging like 29 or 30 points a game after the tear, which is like unheard of. But as, as I just mentioned, it's because right-handed players usually jump off of and rely on more their left Achilles, their left leg. So I feel like Durant is, we're going to be very optimistic with him. He's going to be, if not quite the same, 85 to 90% of the player he was. Which in my opinion, LeBron and Durant are like a whole notch above everyone else in the league. I know some people might think, okay, like Giannis, Kawhi come close. And I feel like they do. But in terms of pure skill, I just feel like LeBron and Durant have always been, just for years now, like kind of like a whole like tier above the rest of the guys. So I think he's going to come back fine. But touching off that quote, I do agree with you. And I'm prepared for it right now. I'm calling it right now. Durant is going to struggle to begin with. And it's not because of the Achilles, as the quote said. It's because he hasn't played it, like an official game of basketball in like 18, 19 months. Like anybody would be cold. And I'm prepared for him to shoot like 3 of 10, 3 of 11 in that first game. And everyone in the media starts panicking and saying like, oh boy, like Durant's not the same. Look at his Achilles, like it's holding him back. But in reality, he's human. Like I know he's like, we watch him on the court. We're like, this dude is not from this planet, but he's human. He needs time to get into a rhythm. Give it 10 or 15 games, like give him a little comfortable. Uh, let him get comfortable with this team around him. It's a new team. It's a new city. It's a new vibe. It's a new head coach. It's a new... Pretty everything. much a coaching staff. Yeah, everything yeah. is new surrounding it. It's a new number for crying out loud. He, who would have thought he'd switch to seven? Like, these poor people who jumped the gun and bought that Durant 35. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
probably trying to sell it at some yard sale now. But give it time, and I think this Durant will see that plays for Brooklyn is, if not the same as I said, 90% of the player he once was, which is still a top five player in the league. Yeah, and I think that right versus left Achilles thing is a big factor in which we've discussed the theory before, and it, it really does. And like you mentioned, Jack, you know, another medical prof- uh, professional saying they have confidence in Kevin Durant coming back gives you confidence. That's literally their job to know about that <laughs> stuff. So, and in the piece that Mike wrote, I thought it was great and really showing showcasing the biomechanics of Kevin Durant's shot and how it's really going to alleviate some of the pressure off his Achilles given how he just has that dip and relies on maybe a little bit more of his upper body in comparison to other players. And you can see the difference in the jump shot from, I think it was um, Brianna Stewart was in there yep, and, yes. she, yeah, and she just came back at an amazing season. I think she won finals MVP, won the championship. Yep. She wasn't the same efficiency <laughs> that she was prior but she still was really, really good. And she used more of her legs to get exactly. her Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you can clearly see that in the difference. And, I mean, if you've ever played basketball, if you're going out there, you can feel it too when you have the different shots. If you shoot with a dip or you're trying to shoot off your two feet in, like, in terms of a jump stop, it's definitely a bigger factor in terms of the impact on the Achilles. Mike even mentioned the piece that he thought there was a possibility Kevin Durant could come back even better. Yeah, because he's because Brianna Stewart said it as well, and now we're having that conversation with each other because they were able to rest every other part of their body. It's the rest first rust debate that I love having, and obviously, like Joe said, there is going to be some rust, but I'm probably confident that there probably isn't going to be as much rust. Listen to Gilbert Arenas and John Wall. Exactly about yeah, to say yeah. that, my friend. Sealing the words right out of my mouth. He was just like shooting five of five, and John Wall and Gilbert Arenas are like. Dude, has this guy even had an Achilles injury? Because he was cooking them. Now, again, you're cooking Gilbert Arenas and John Wall. Seems like everyone's cooking, would cook those guys for those that have seen the film. It's not like he was going up against Drew Holiday or Aaron Gordon for, for that much regard. But it, it does make you more confident. That, to me, makes me more, as more, more confident than hearing about the, the medical experts or whatever because he's playing basketball and he's playing at, you know, it's not necessarily the highest level yet, but scrimmages against some of the NBA's best players or, you know, guys who are still really, really damn good basketballers is what I want to see rather than, you know, what he's doing against one-on-zero when we're sort of, you know, posting videos about him going up against the chairs and we see him at uh, you know, on the locker room, uh, on the bench and sort of, you know, doing this sort of shooting thing. What he's doing right now is the thing that you want to see the most. And uh, uh, there is he is one of the most unique players in the history of the sport. A seven-footer who has a jumper wetter than Michael Jordan and, and Larry Bird. It's unheard of. And that's why we need to judge his recovery, judge his return, based off the uniqueness of Kevin Durant as a player. He is so damn unique in terms of his height. The, the dip is like, you know, the, I really love the, the minuteness of the pace where it was uh, um, sort of breaking down how damn quick it is in comparison to other players. He just goes down and up in like an instant. It's just like you miss it. And you have to like rewatch it. So it's like, holy shit. Like, because every, every person who plays basketball has a dip. And, you know, you, you, you move through your legs and then you move up. Kevin Durant, because he uses his upper body, like Nick was alluding to, the dip is quicker and he relies less on his legs to put the pressure on for his shot. Now, every person has a different shot, but in terms of the purest shot in the NBA, you know, if you're giving me Steph Clay or KD, you know, KD's hit one of the biggest shots in, in finals history over you know, LeBron James and the mean mug that he gave. And it was over the top of him, but not just like, you know, a, a guy was closing out. And then also the one thing I wanted to touch on, and I'm sure both of you saw it in the piece is that, the moves that he has and that he's like taken mm. from other players, the sort of hezzy dribble that he's got 
and like he it's it's from his left and he either crosses over and like dunks on a dude whereas like this time it, it might be maybe just like a, a floater or or getting into a pull-up you know he has every single move in the book you know it was analyzed and you look at like the clean the glass the analytics numbers and he's just like red across the you know red in a good way like in the upper percentiles of like 90 percentile shooting from three 90 percentile shooting from top of the break 90 percentile shooting from mid-range it's just like this is literally like the most unique best scorer maybe ever in the game and coming back that's not going to change and if you, you're changing the efficiency even a little bit he's still gonna be like joe alluded to one of the five or ten best players in the league and you know because you know every player has other injuries and other ailments maybe he's fresher in other regards maybe yeah. this sort of the the shorter season as we alluded to on the last podcast benefits him in the team and Kyrie irving uh, in different regards as well so um, I'm excited. This piece made me even more excited. Yeah. Um, and it was just, uh, I recommend every single Brooklyn Nets fan and NBA fan listening right now to go and, and find that piece because it is thorough. It is awesome. Uh, and if you're a Nets fan, you're certainly going to get optimistic after reading it. 100%. I think it's also just the amount of moves he has in his repertoire. You know what I mean? Like he, there's moves that he doesn't really use that maybe he might have to use more given the Achilles and the lack of explosion. And that he has that ability, but I think that wraps it up. Anything else you guys want to touch on? I'm looking forward to soon hearing Ian Eagle with Kevin Durant playing. That first he's not human is going to hit different. It really is. Yeah, I mean, that's my most excited factor of the NBA season. I mean, I feel like it's a little rush for us that do coverage and stuff, and it's going to be yeah. a quick turnaround. There's a ton of work, but like the, the light at the end of the tunnel is seeing Kevin Durant and that opening night for the Brooklyn Nets putting on that jersey. But, guys, always a pleasure. And you can find us on all stream platforms. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.